Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. John Mosaic, the Cardinals president of baseball operations, has been very busy, and we have him taking some time with us this morning here on 101 ESPN. Mo, good morning. How are you doing? Good, Randy. How are you guys? Everything's outstanding here. And first of all, I want to congratulate you on probably getting a little bit of sleep after the, the deadline came and went. Sort of ironic, right? Like you, you, you finish that, and then you jump into a rain delay. So it's sort of perfect. <laughs> um, a little sarcasm there. But... Um, you know, here we go with uh, with two today. So, you know, hopefully we can just continue on what we did the other night. And uh, our pitchers put up some zeros and our offense scores some runs. So that'd be fun. It would be fun, Mo. Well, let's go back to the trade deadline. You know, we're all following the news and we're seeing that the Cardinals are reportedly in on, on multiple players and they're going to be buyers at the deadline. From your perspective, how difficult is that? Balancing your interests and conversations that you're having with multiple teams about multiple players that might include some of the same prospects or guys you have in-house? You know, it's sort of interesting because, <clears throat> and don't take this in a negative way, but there's so much stuff that gets out there, whether it's on, you know, Twitterverse or, or social media that, that lacks accuracy. And then, so, so, so ultimately when you think about all these different sort of dynamics that are going on, when, when you're, when you're doing what I do, you know, what's true, you know, what's real, you know, what's, what's possible. Whereas I think the general public and, and people that, that are following sort of the baseball world, there's a lot of things that are misleading, inaccurate, and and you know ultimately when you ask like how does that affect like my job and my role, it becomes complicated because expectations for the general public change um, in terms of what's happening in the industry, and it, it actually trickles down all the way to the clubhouse. So like you know there's a lot of uncertainty, and you know like I met with Dylan Carlson when we were in excuse me in Washington D.C. and I. You know, I told him, look, you're not being traded. So, like, take a deep breath. I met with uh, Nolan Gorman, who's, you know, a young guy in the big leagues for the first time, hearing his name bantered about all the time. And I'm like, you're not being traded. And so, you know, I'm just trying to help people understand, like, really where they stand and, and what's going on. But I can't control what's being, you know, typed on Twitter and, and being held accountable for that. Well, when you have those conversations with Dylan Carlson and Nolan Gorman, what's their reaction? I would imagine a, a relief. I would imagine appreciation. And I would imagine some gratitude that, you know, okay, the club has faith in me and, and they're moving forward. So um, I, I think that would be it. I mean, I imagine there's sometimes there are players actually do want to be traded and you know, <laughs> they would prefer to hear the opposite. But I mean, in, in the Cardinals situation, most guys want to be a part of this this organization will want to be a part of what we're trying to do. And, you know, I think like when you look at like 
somebody like Quinton or, or Stratton, like when they got traded over here, they were thrilled. You know, they're, they're entering a race. They're, they're pumped. Someone like Montgomery is being taken off of, of a you know, New York Yankees team, and I'm sure he was shocked when he learned that he was being traded. And, you know, I do think he's excited about joining the Cardinals, but I imagine there was a, a moment of, of just pure shock and bewilderment and then ultimately, uh, you know, coming to realization that it's happened. And so the worst part of, of, of doing what I do is actually the trading side of things, because I do feel like a lot of times people think of us as like, oh, it's just baseball cards, you know, flip this for that. But these guys are humans and, you know, they, they have families, they have commitments. It's, it's, it's a lot more complicated than I think a lot of people really understand. And, and so I have a lot of empathy for what players go through during those couple of weeks as it leads up to the training deadline. But I think, um, you know, a lot of people on the Twitterverse don't have any understanding of what it would feel like to be that person. Mo, as you know, there was a ton of conversation here while you guys were in Washington about your conversations with Mike Rizzo. But you just told us that you did, you told Carlson and Gorman, you guys aren't going anywhere. Would you categorize those, those negotiations that you had with Rizzo? Were, were they serious? Did you ever feel like something could happen? You know, I never thought like, like, you know, I, I always sort of joke sometimes, like if you squint hard enough, you might be able to see a deal. Mm-hmm. I didn't really feel like we were ever to that point. Um, they were much more high level. And, you know, I, I would add that, you know, some of my meetings with, with Mr. Rizzo were not um, necessarily uh, always centered around uh, the one big player that was uh, being traded. So, um, as you can imagine, we cast a pretty wide net on how we think about we can improve the club, whether it's, you know, looking at pitching, starter, reliever, uh, position players, et cetera. So, um, I think, again, everybody just sort of draws their own conclusions on what those little interfaces might have been about Mm -hmm. but again not not probably uh um i think more is being left up to one's imagination than reality and like you said there's a lot of inaccuracy out there but there's also a lack of knowledge because we never saw jordan montgomery's name until you guys announced the trade so how did that come about for the cardinals that jordan montgomery got on the market and you were able to grab him so you know when, when you think about how all this stuff begins when you think about like you know couple weeks leading up to the trading deadline, you know, it's our responsibility to contact all 29 clubs, let them know what we're trying to accomplish, how we're trying to accomplish it. And and so that gives, you know, sort of each other opposing general manager, at least some, some ability to understand what we're trying to do or a framework of what we're trying to think through. And so as, as the trading deadline was, was approaching, we were we were in contact with New York on a variety of things, but you know ultimately we were trying to accomplish a starting pitcher. They were looking for someone who could play center field, and and so ultimately you know, we were able to to get this done at the eleventh hour. And um, you're right, it was not something that that did um, I think attract attention, and I think that sort of almost reflects a little bit probably how both Bader and Montgomery felt too, because. You know, neither names were, were, were being put in the public at that time. So I think just the, the initial shock of being told you're being, you're being traded is probably uh, one that they weren't expecting. But, yeah, there's a lot of things that we talked about that never made uh, sort of the, the Twitterverse or the publicverse. So that's kind of fun. And you want to share with us, Mo? <laughs> well, not really. Because it's like, you know, it's like, you know, sort of like it never happened. So, like, 
it's not you don't want to like cause anybody anxiety to, to to hear what might have happened, right? Oh, okay, that's fair, that's fair. Um, I want to circle back to the conversations with Washington and that one big player that you referenced because uh, when the Cardinals tend to make a move to uh, acquire a star player that's considered a rental, I would imagine that you do so with some sort of sense that the player might be interested in signing a longer-term deal to remain with the organization. So when it comes to Juan Soto, did you have any sense of his appetite to potentially stay with the Cardinals when you entered into those initial decisions? Discussions about him? No, I have no idea. Uh, uh, John, nor was that part of the uh, negotiation. Uh, you're acquiring a player for you know roughly two years and two months. I, I, I think Washington's position on that was that's your problem. Is that something that you you try to at least discern a little bit though before you go out and you Absolutely. acquire a player like that? Okay. Yeah. No, not necessarily directly with player or, or their representation, but if you're going to be granted a window or not to, to be able to extend. And in Washington's case, they did not feel like that was something they were going to consider. Mo, you have a rare commodity in uh, Quintana in that he takes the ball. You look at his baseball reference page and it's 32 starts, 32 starts, 32 starts, 31, 29. It's a rare commodity in baseball when you have a guy that takes the ball every time. No, absolutely. It's uh Look, that's a skill. You know, we talk about that a lot internally about the ability to go pole to pole. And, and you know, there, there's you, you look at this game and, and, and very few people can actually say they do that. And in his case, he can. But more importantly, he's had some success. And we think, you know, putting him with our club, we think he's only going to get better. So, you know, really, we felt that was sort of a win-win. And you, you make these moves, I'm presuming that you can't reasonably expect Flaherty to come back, but you do have a longer triple-A season this year. You're running out of runway. As you map this out, is there a way to Flaher- for Flaherty to get a major league start by the end of this year? Oh, yes, yes. Um, based on what we're hearing, what we're seeing, um, he'll report back to the club this weekend but we're pretty encouraged that he's not too far away from a rehab assignment. Oh, that's terrific to hear. I also want to touch on the reliever you got, Chris Stratton, and putting Palante back in the bullpen, because to me that's as big as getting the two starting pitchers. Well, right, because it just creates that depth, right? So so ultimately, you know, you're improving your rotation, but you think you're also improving your bullpen. And, and given how... Palante's pitch for us, we think he gives us, you know, ultimate flexibility. If he has to start, he can start, but if he has to pitch out of the bullpen, he can do that. And so, yeah, I mean, net-net, we feel we've upgraded in both areas. And Jordan Walker has been hot down at A. Is there a scenario in which Jordan Walker could see the field at St. Louis this season? I would think that would be pretty unlikely. Um, you know, he's playing well, which is great to see. Um, getting experience in the outfield now, which is great to see. But I think right now where, where, where he is, I think you know, he just needs to keep doing what he's doing and um, improving, growing, maturing in this game. But I would, I, was, I would say it was very, very unlikely that he'd play in the big leagues this year. And we did mention the other day when you told us that he is going to see time in the outfield. He's played a couple of games in left. Where do you think he projects athletically? Uh, you know, I think from a just a pure athleticism standpoint, there's a pretty good chance he could be a center fielder. But, you know, first 
you know, stepping out there. It's just we just want to give them experience out there because clearly, you know, when you look at first base, third base, we have that locked up for a while. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he's, you know, his offensive profile is so large or or exciting, we just want to see what what it looks like. And so, as you can imagine, you know, we we have time to to develop that pretty high probability he'll probably see some time out in the fall league as well and so you know when you combine that we'll pretty have a pretty good idea of what this looks like especially when we complete our spring training camp in 2023 hey mo i got two more things number one right field right now with bader gone and carlson being your center field what do you envision happening in right on a regular basis well i think you're going to see newt out there quite a bit um obviously dickerson's swinging the bat well so there gives us some flexibility on that as as well and um, you know I think there's still some some chances that we might see something or someone contribute from from our Memphis club so not ruling anything out I think the good news is that that you know guys are swinging the bats well that are getting that opportunity so you look at what Dickerson's done since returning from the IL you look at Newt now that he's getting more regular playing time he's become much more consistent so I mean those are those are really encouraging and you know hopeful we're going to get get Tyler back and and get him to where where he was sort of an upper palate uh, MVP candidate last year so you know if, if we can have that happen I think from an offensive standpoint we're going to be a fun team to watch and one last thing for John Mozeliak and I always talk about the randomness of the postseason. I would argue that the, Tony LaRusso's two worst playoff teams were the 06 and 11 teams that won. But people get bothered, Mo, when you say, I hope we get hot. I, we we want to make the playoffs, and I hope we get hot. And they want you to say, I've built a World Series team. Can you just talk philosophically about what the Cardinals, you've mentioned this before, it's nothing new, but what you want to accomplish each regular season? So, so as you can imagine, if I said I built a World Series team, like what does that make me feel look like? I mean, that's just arrogant, um, conceited, and most likely wrong because there's only one world championship every year. And, and so, you know, I guess if you just look at just probability, it's you have a one in 30-year chance, right? So, so it's just kind of a silly statement. And, you know, I do think like when you look at, at – at, to win a world championship, what's the one thing you have to do? You have to get to the postseason. If you don't get to the postseason, you certainly can't win a world championship. So, you know, you have to think about building a club for 162, and in the back of your mind, you always have to think of what you're going to look like when you are in postseason. And I do think, like, the acquisition of somebody like Montgomery helps us in October because he's more of a top-of-rotation type pitcher. So ultimately, you're trying to give yourself a chance to roll those dice. And that's what we try to do here. Always good material. Thank you, sir. We appreciate your time. You're always generous with us and have a great stretch run. And hopefully we'll be talking to you as we approach to the playoffs. That sounds great. Thanks guys. Thanks Mo. Take care. That's the Cardinal president of baseball operations, John Mozeliak on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. 
While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Want more ways to show your good side to the world? Donate plasma at a Griffles Center and join thousands of donors who are helping to save lives. Receive up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com.